Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that because you're already listening to a podcast. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a PhD holding historian, a professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that makes legit, seriously researched American history come to life through entertaining stories. Join me for a chronological telling of the United States story, from the revolution to fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way from 1776 to the early 20th century. Listen to History That Doesn't Suck on Spotify. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So I thought we'd start this installment with another segment of Weird Shit Cat Says Right Before the Mics Go On. (laughs) We come come in, we're just kind of fussing about getting ready to uh, record. I'm almost ready to hit the record button and uh, Cat blurts out, you know, Ferrets are great pets for people who would love to have ferrets for a pet. And I think that's hard to argue with. <laughs> I mean, it's accurate. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, but I'm, I think I said ferrets make great pets for people who really want to have a ferret. Oh, okay. Just I'm paraphrasing. So we're clear. Uh, I don't want to uh, put words in your mouth. I know that it sounds silly, but ferrets are a lot of work, and you just have to really want to have a ferret and do that work in order to have a ferret and be a good <laughs> ferret pet owner. You know, I don't need to explain myself to you. Welcome to Ferret Talk, <laughs> everybody. All right, enough about ferrets. What do you have to talk about? Well, have you seen the, those pictures of the elongated uh, skulls? Yes. They, yeah. They, um, there are archaeological discoveries of elongated skulls that come from all over the world. It's known as uh, artificial cranial deformation. Mm-hmm. It's a form of body modification, head flattening, or head binding, they call it. Mm-hmm. It's when the skull of a human being is deformed intentionally. Right. Sometimes they do that using rope or they do it using baby boards or, yeah. yeah. They call it uh, cradle headboarding when they they do that. According to Wikipedia, when they use the cradle boarding technique, uh, the head comes out kind of flat. Uh, Then there are more oblong egg-shaped heads, and those are done with cloth binding. Mm Mm-hmm. And then there are cone-shaped ones, and those are the ones that are considered uh, to be the chosen one or the valued members of society. That's what they believe, is that uh, if the cone-shaped head is sticking on top of your neck, that you're VIP. Okay. So like Dan Aykroyd... Just like Dan Aykroyd. The practice of artificially elongating the skull has been done in a surprisingly high number of cultures in just about every corner of the world, 
from the Far East. They found them in Africa, in the Americas, Western Europe even. The question is why? Why would ancient people take a precious little new baby and want to change its head to look like a penis? Experts suggest that uh, it was a way to distinguish royalty or upper-class citizens from the masses. Oh, I guess that's one way to do it. Uh, Not just like, uh, you're the only ones that can wear purple, but uh, now your head's misshapen. Yeah, they could have just given him a wristband, you know? (laughs) Like they're on a cruise ship. (laughs) Yeah, you get into the VIP area, just make sure you have your wristband on. A recent study using carbon and nitrogen isotope analysis of the bones has shown that in most of the samples of elongated uh, or distended heads, these people ate more varied diet, which suggests that they were from a more privileged class. That makes sense. They also show fewer signs of physical violence. That, of course, suggests that they also were VIP or royalty or whatever. The sons and daughters of the well-to-do. But in some of the skulls that uh, don't date back quite as far as these ones, that's not necessarily the case. It appears that even lower class people later on started elongating the skulls. Oh, sure. It was the lower class's way of uh, trying to fit in. They wanted to emulate people of higher society. But who are the members of higher society trying to emulate? Oh, I see where this is going. At the same time, it's been uh, considered possible that the practice of uh, cranial deformation originated from an attempt to emulate those groups or, or population in which elongated shape was a natural condition. Uh, the skulls of some ancient Egyptians are among those identified as being elongated naturally. And uh, they've discovered that there was a lot of inbreeding. And testing the remains of some of the royal family members from Egypt, they all had macrocephaly, uh, which can cause that distinction. Mm -hmm. In other words, the royal family suffered from macrocephaly and the commoners wanted to emulate those people. Well, that makes sense. You know, in in every culture, the the lower class people yeah. always try to, you know, get in on the vibe of the, you know, conehead VIPs. Right. During Elizabethan times, we've talked about this, Queen Elizabeth loved her sugar. Mm-hmm. And because she could afford lots of sugar, her teeth rotted out. Right. And so people would artificially black their teeth out so they'd look like the queen. Hot. So hot. Throughout the years, the skulls have been uh, proven to be of human origin. There have been some recent discoveries, though, that suggest there might be a little bit more to the story. The remains of people with elongated skulls have been found, as I said, all over the globe, and some date back as far as 3,000 years. Wow. One of the more intriguing finds was made by a guy named Julio Tello in the late 1920s. Uh, He discovered hundreds of cone-shaped skulls in Paracas, in the Paracas region of Peru. I love Peru. And in the past decade, pretty intriguing discoveries have been made involving the uh, Paracas skulls. In all, he found more than 300 of them, and they raise more questions than they provide answers. In 2014, a geneticist carried out some uh, preliminary DNA testing on these skulls, and this is the stuff that really gets my juices going. What the tests reportedly showed was that the mitochondrial DNA included mutations unknown to any human primate or animal known so far. Mm -hmm. 
Now, even though this was done by a reputable laboratory, they themselves suggest that perhaps the samples were contaminated. Okay. Okay, I'm trying to be fair here, okay? <laughs> it's probably aliens, but... So a second round of DNA testing was completed just a couple Knew of it. years ago. <laughs> and uh, things got even more confusing. These particular skulls that they tested date back 3,000 years. And what the DNA testing showed was, and again, this is from the Paracas region of Peru, what it showed was that these skulls had a European and Middle Eastern origin. Oh, wow. Yeah. How did these people from Europe or the Middle East, end up in Peru over 3,000 years ago. That completely changes how we look at migration mm. in the history of people as a whole. And why were their skulls bound in a similar way, if not identical to the methods of those that were used in that area? Well, this is not the first time that we've seen... Um examples of migration or um, archaeology or building methods across the globe that don't exactly make sense with what we think we know right. about. Yeah. Well, pyramids, you know, exactly. another good example yeah. of that. Yeah. And all right along the same latitude. Weird. It is weird. Okay. So let's just take the whole ancient alien possibility out of the equation. Okay. But just think about that. That is so interesting. So testing of the mitochondrial DNA that was extracted from the samples showed the genetic population of H2A, which is most frequently found in Eastern Europe and to a lesser degree, Western Europe. The bone powder from one of the elongated skulls uh, test came back as uh, T2B, which originates from Mesopotamia, which is now Syria, and essentially the heart of the Fertile Crescent. This is where a lot of historians think that civilization was birthed, ancient Mesopotamia, the Garden of Eden, if you will. So even though there's very little question that people intentionally deformed the skulls of their children, the practice of cradle headboarding won't change some of the basic characteristics of a human skull. In a recent interview with Ancient Origins, author and researcher L.A. Mazula uh, described how some of the Paracas skulls differ from an ordinary human skull. Quote, there's a possibility that it might have been cradle headboarding, but the reason why I don't think so is because the position of the foramen magnum is back toward the rear of the skull. A normal human position would be closer to the jawline. That's where the neck bone connects to the, uh, the skull. Okay. In the case of these skulls, they're further back. Hmm. He went on to say that an archaeologist has written a paper about his study of the position of that connecting area. Over a thousand skulls have been uh, researched. He states that the Paracas skulls, the position is completely different than a human being. It is also smaller, which le itself leads to the theory that it is not cradle headboarding, uh, that this is in fact genetic. Oh. So because of the position of where it connects to the neck, it's been suggested that in order for the person who had that skull to walk around, in order to keep their balance, their neck would have had to have been much longer than what you would expect a human neck to be. That's rad. He also points out the size and shape of the eye sockets. 
In his studies, he claims that the eye sockets vary in size by up to 20 millimeters compared to a normal human skull. And he consulted an expert in anatomy, and that person told him, based on those findings, that this particular entity would have had something similar to night vision. And that's interesting because the remains of the civilization in Paracas, their villages were underground. They lived subterranean. And in their discovery of these settlements, these subterranean settlements, there was no indication that torches were ever used. That's amazing. In addition, many of the skulls still had a lot of hair on them. And the hair is red. How can this be? The first thought was maybe... Uh, They thought maybe the hair had been bleached out over time, Mm -hmm. but uh, two different hair experts have uh, disproven that idea. These particular Paracas people had blonde to reddish hair that was 30% thinner than Native American hair, which is genetically more common to be black. Right. So he suggested that the uh, Paracas skulls are not the result of intentional cradle boarding. He's suggesting it's genetic. Now, again, it's true that there are many diseases that cause elongated skulls. Mm -hmm. But when a skull is elongated and it's been caused by genetics, there are characteristics still similar to the normal human skull. For example, there's a, uh, a suture line in your skull. When you look at a picture of a skull, you see that line that goes from the front of the forehead all the way back and Mm -hmm. that connects the two plates in the back. When a skull is cradle headboarded or bound, It changes the shape over time of the skull, but that fissure is still there. Right, of course. The Paracas people don't have that. Oh, wow. And there's not a disease that would create a skull that doesn't have that? There could be a disease that hasn't been discovered, perhaps, that would cause that. I'm I'm sure that's a distinct possibility. But every single one of these skulls is like that, and there's Mm -hmm. over 300 of them. Wow. So now here's where it gets a little bit weirder, okay? (laughs) Weird but interesting. Because of the alleged inconsistency in the DNA, both in the structure and the origin, L.A. Mazzulli believes the results fit perfectly into his hypothesis that he's had this before he even did testing on the skulls. The Paracas people are the Nephilim. Nephilim. Yes. According to ancient biblical scripture, the Nephilim are the offspring of fallen angels and women of earth, which resulted in a hybrid entity. Right. But what would it, what would it be like, it like says, in real life? <laughs> <laughs> well, there are those who interpret that as uh, alien creatures breeding with humans. Right. Okay. But like, what would that be like in real life? It'd be an alien hybrid. (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, it's interesting because it's mitochondrial DNA that shows that it's from the Mesopotamian area, Mm -hmm. which is traditionally thought of as, as the area where the Nephilim and also early civilization took root. Mm -hmm. And when you consider that the DNA that they extracted had some inconsistencies in it that suggest that it, it perhaps came from that could, region. Well, it came from that region, but also there there are inconsistencies. Granted, they say it could be due to contamination, but inconsistencies in, in the DNA that suggest that it's human hybrid with some unknown animal. Mm-hmm. Mazzuli says uh, his colleagues are planning further testing. Uh, some of the labs that have worked with him in the past now refuse to. Oh, no. <laughs> they don't want to work with a guy. 
Um, but he continues to work with the Peruvian and, Amer- and some American archaeologists. They do have permission from the head of our, the head archaeologist of the Peruvian Museum to take some more samples. Well, I think that's absolutely important, especially where there's been some inconsistencies and a lot of questions still to be answered. Yep. He'll present them to the Ministry of Culture for final comment before the samples would be taken to two labs in the U.S. for testing, possibly one in Canada. Canada. The results uh, could take years. Sure. And obviously, mainstream academics think this is, uh, well, I think the technical term is bullshit. Uh, <laughs> Mazzulli himself says that the mainstream academics will probably continue to attack these results by pointing out that he's not a scientist. But... He urges them to replicate the study, quote, attack the evidence, go down and get your own samples, pay for the DNA lab, and then come back to me with your science. Do some science like we have done. The full lab reports of the DNA tests are available in his book, which is called Nephilim Hybrids. And there's also uh, a couple of shows on, uh, I think it's Amazon with this guy uh, called The Watchers. And episode 10 is specifically about his theory. Why do I have the feeling that we're going to be watching that shortly? Oh, I've already watched it. (laughs) I knew it. My source information was USA Today, Wikipedia, Ancient Origins website, and I fucking love science. Love it. Thank you so much for that detailed and very creative story. (laughs) There were giants in those days. (laughs) And now, that thing in the middle. The 1994 comedy Baby's Day Out is as popular in India as Star Wars is in the Western world. It's been remade twice in India, and for some reason, the second remake is called James Bond. Do you know why it's been so long since you've heard new liners like these? Because someone's been a little lazy. This is The Box of Oddities. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. 
greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids and they live about 3,000 miles away and my daughter is expecting a child and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money well i've got the podcast for you i'm sean piles and i host nerd wallets smart money podcast on our show we help listeners like you make the most of your finances i sit down with nerd wallets team of nerds personal finance experts in credit cards banking investing and more we answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Hey, we got this message from Daniel. He's a patron. He's a member of the Inner Circle of Freaks. He sent this to our Patreon inbox. Hi, Kat and Jethro. Wanted to start by saying how much this community means to me, so thanks to everyone involved. I'm on box 4849. At some point, uh, Kat starts struggling with her own notions of plastic surgery versus bod mods, tattoos, piercings, that sort of thing. Although uncomfortable, to her credit, she went to a very vulnerable, pla vulnerable place and was honest about how her notions may have been somehow preconceived. I applaud you. As human beings, we should always allow ourselves to, uh, the space rather, to look at everything from new angles so we can grow as human beings. I always felt the same way about facelifts versus face tattoos, but hearing you question yourself made it easier for me to question myself. Thanks for being a good example to us all. Uh, we could all use a little more introspection these days. Much love, Daniel. P.S., I appreciated Jethro pointing out that it's okay to express yourself with big tits. <laughs> I'm here for you, Daniel. Well, that's just about the nicest thing that anyone's ever said. So 
Let's move right along. What was that message you were just, was that a tweet? Oh, yeah. Someone tagged us in a tweet and said, (laughs) someone was talking about Bangor, Maine. And I said, oh, my friends just moved from Bangor. And by friends, I mean the box of oddities. (laughs) Thanks, Catherine. You are our friend. You're a friend. Indeed. What you got for me, girl? Can you play the jingle, please? Because people have been asking about it. Oh, my jingle? Yeah. Oh, okay. What you got for me? What, what you, what, what you, what you got for me? What, 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 what you got for me? That is so polarizing. People hate it or they love it. Sorry to those of you who hate it, and you're welcome to those who like it. See, we all just have to learn to accept that we can't <laughs> love the same things. A great man once said, you can't please everyone, so you've got to please yourself. That sounds dirty. Exactly. All right, near Dayton, Ohio, in Kettering, just off Patterson Boulevard, tucked into the trees, sits a tower shaped like a castle turret. It's made of stone and legends. See what I did there just now? That was a great lead in. Thank you. Oh, you've got my attention now. So strange tales, that was very spitty just now. (laughs) Strange tales have surrounded Lookout Tower for decades. People share stories of lost time at the tower. There have been sightings of eerie figures dancing around a fire and reports of unexplained scorch marks found on the ground. Appearances of ghostly children. Sometimes their shapes can be seen burned into the stone block walls. Oh my God. This sounds like a fun place. Big thanks, by the way, to Allison from Indiana for sending me this topic idea. One local legend claims that the tower was built during the Civil War and that a woman plunged to her death from the top of the tower after hearing the news of her husband's death. Another claims that this is a place for those involved with the occult and unholy works to practice their dark magic. The 56-foot-high stone tower called by the community the Witch's Tower, or sometimes Frankenstein's Tower, was built to provide views of the Community Country Club by the National Youth Administration from stone salvaged from buildings condemned by the city which I feel like salvaged stone in itself uh, can carry with it Mm. some concepts of energy that might have come from, you know, those buildings anyway. Yeah, no, it's kind of like the uh, intelligent haunting versus residual hauntings, where they say residual hauntings tend to take place where there's a lot of organic matter, whether it's stone or wood, And that the image, when it happened, somehow was recorded on that, much like audio is recorded on carbon-coated recording tape. The walls are more than three feet thick in some places, according to a 1941 Journal Herald story marking the completion of the project. Inside, 50 stone steps spiral to the lookout platform that offered views for 15 miles. And reportedly, there was a metal gate that stood at the entrance. The tower was completed in 1941 in what is now called Hills and Dales Metro Park. So during the 1960s, the remote location uh, led for a, a place that vandals could come and general hooliganery could take place. 
you know, people were going there to drink and uh, kids would go there to like make out and stuff. Like the moon tower in Dazed and Confused. Yeah, I don't remember that, but whatever. Um, Occasionally, kids would get in trouble uh, around there, too, because they would, like, take shingles from the roof and toss them at passing cars on Patterson Boulevard below um, or toss bottles from the windows. Now, that's, you know, bad news bears, but it's certainly not sinister. So why this nasty reputation, right? Anyway, in 1967... Peggy Harmison and her 17-year-old friend, Ronnie Stevens, were out driving when they saw the tower and they decided they would stop and check it out. So they were investigating the tower and a storm hit and the couple took shelter inside. Investigators theorized that the couple was walking down the stairway when a lightning bolt hit the tower, possibly at the entrance's metal gate. Harmison was found dead on the 11th step of the tower. Peggy did not survive, but Stevens, though severely burned, did live. And when help arrived, he was absolutely inconsolable. Peggy was buried three days later in nearby Calvary Cemetery. Legend has it that after her death, visitors found burnt images of her within the tower. And no matter how much they would scrub... The images remained, kind of like... Hiroshima. Buck's tomb. Oh, that too. (laughs) Yes. Hiroshima, of course, you know, atomic blast left shadows of people mid-stride. Yeah, that's that's uh, much sadder. Yeah, it's incredibly sad. Buck's tomb, on the other hand, is a whimsical legend from Maine about a haunted tombstone... From my hometown. ...with a a lady's leg on it that uh, just won't go away. Just won't go away. She's a persistent leg. She is indeed. She's a witch. I'm not a witch. I'm not. So after this took place and people kept saying that they were seeing these kind of ghostly apparitions, the town was like, okay, well, that's enough of (laughs) of that, I think. Um, So they decided that they were going to close the tower um, and they boarded up the door, closed the gate. But of course, people were curious. And if their friends said that they saw that shadow on the wall, they wanted to see if they could see the shadow as well. I would. So people kept breaking into the tower where this Bellbrook teenager was found dead. So the town was like, all right, it's a, enough is enough. So they used concrete to fill oh, in wow the doorway so that you cannot get inside now. Even though I have seen some recent pictures from inside the tower. So they're still finding a way in. Of course they are. Uh Those rapscallions. Those rapscallion urban explorers. And though not everyone has found a way to get inside, it is still a popular attraction for the curious and those that believe that it was not just lightning at work that day. Bum, bum, bum. That's right. But it really, it was just lightning. Or as William Shatner might say, Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. That's what I thought too, Bill. I call him <laughs> Bill. Sure. Yeah. Well, you're friendly. I got most of my information from Only in Your State, Columbus Navigator, Dayton Daily News, and DaytonLocal.com. 
I love these local legends, the folklore that kind of grows up around them, like this and, and the Buck's Tomb thing in Bucksport. Pretty much every town has something like that. Yeah, and my friend Kulong lives not too far from here, so I think that we should go and see it oh. and, and, you know, visit with Kulong. Oh, sure, but Haunted Tower first. Right, absolutely. Again, want to take a moment to thank those of you who uh, support us, be, have become patrons, have uh, joined the Order of Freaks. Some of you have made your way to the inner circle. I applaud you for that. Uh, welcome to our four newest patrons, Donna, Paul, Connie, and Danny. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. If you'd like to join us on Patreon, you can do so. It's very simple. Go to our website, theboxofoddities.com, or just search for us on Patreon. We're that pretty works, e too. Pretty easy to find. And we look forward to hanging out with you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2021. All rights reserved. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. All you need is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the This Day in History podcast. Every day there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when. So listen and subscribe to This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. That's This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts.